Don't answer this. Don't answer this. But if, if I showed up seven years ago to my initial job interview with tattoos covering my arms, would you have had second thoughts about hiring me? Don't answer. Don't. <laughs> if you bumped into me wearing a tank top shirt, ratty jeans, legs, arms, neck, face covered in tattoos at Walmart, what would your first impression be? Don't answer. Don't answer. <laughs> if you were waiting in line at a concert or some sort of other event, and somebody walked by you, you've been waiting in line for hours to get tickets, and somebody walks by you wearing a suit, good-looking suit, classy, nice tie, fancy watch, you would saw them get out of a Lexus as up would stop and say something. What if they walked by covered like this? Did you say something? Have you ever been guilty of judging somebody by the way they look? Have you ever been guilty of judging somebody by how much money they have, by what neighborhood they live in? One of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, tells the story of one Easter morning, he got up early to go to church early because he knew the church would be packed. And he figured going early he'd get a seat, but by the time he showed up, the line was already well out of the door. So he went to the end of the line and he started waiting and was waiting for a while and a while longer. And, and then some well-being person, some higher up in society, some, some lord or lady or whatever it is over in England, somebody came and recognized him and they said, hey, hey, NT, come with me, come with me. And bypassed everybody in the line at church, went and whispered something in the, the usher, the greeter's ear, and they, they got taken right in, sat in the front row. Great view of Easter service. And yet the theologian N.T. Wright says, I didn't see a thing. I didn't hear a thing. All I could think of was what the, the brother of Jesus, James, wrote in his book in chapter 2 about showing favoritism to people based on their wealth, based on what they have. We know the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. But I'm guessing at some point all of us have. I'm guilty of that. Maybe some of you, when I stood up with these, who can't see that they're fake, gasped and thought, did he really? Maybe you're guilty of that. When I first read our Gospel of Mark passage today, that for, for this past week, I shuddered and I cringed when, I, when it looked to me like Jesus was judging somebody based on their appearance, their ethnicity, where they lived. I thought to myself, surely Jesus couldn't be judging a book by its cover. But listen to this passage. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee. And went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in. But he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. And she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my children, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. 
We say don't judge a book by its cover, but it looks to me that Jesus is doing that. Now do me a favor and forget all the other sermons you've ever heard preached on this passage. Forget the sermons that you've heard that Jesus was simply focusing on his mission, that he came for the Jews who would then give the gospel to the Gentiles. Forget that sermon. Forget the sermon that, that you heard that Jesus was simply practicing good leadership. He was focused on what he needed to do. Forget the sermons that you heard that say, well, the woman's response put Jesus in his place. Forget those and simply listen to what your gut feels when Jesus says this to the woman. He told her first, I should feed the children, my own children, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. This woman had all the strikes against her that any good Jew would need to disregard her completely. She was a Syrian Phoenician from the city of Tyre. Tyre was a distinctly Gentile city, a wealthy port town, 30 miles northwest of Galilee. The people there were the haves, not the have-nots, they were the haves of the Gentiles in that region, and the Jews didn't like the Gentile haves. So there's strike one. Strike two, Tyre and Sidon, this region where Jesus is at, was an area that was originally given to the Israelites when the great leader Joshua divided up the land, the promised land. You can look at Joshua 19, 28, and 29 to see these specific cities. But the Israelites, more specifically the tribe of Asher who was given this land, failed to drive out the people there. And there had been bad blood ever since then. That was years and years and years before. So that's two strikes against this person before Jesus. Third strike, she was a woman. She was a woman. So she was a Syrian, Gentile, Phoenician woman. And in that culture, in that day, those were three strikes against her. Jesus, as a Jew, had every right to treat her the way he did. He judged her by, her, by the cover. He saw the tattoos on her arm and said, nah, not you. It would be kind of like if we went down to West Central and and we said to all the West Central street thugs, hey, you know what? We're not. We came to give Jesus to those who are ready to listen and receive, not your people. Or it could be like saying, you know what? You're, you're a cranky, crotchety old cynic who's always criticized my faith since the moment I moved in to this facility. I've heard the comments you make over the dinner table to the fellow residents. I see the looks. I see the laughs. You know what? I came to proclaim Jesus to those who are ready and willing to hear. I don't do your type of people. Or, or maybe for the students, you'd say to those kids that are goth kids, I see your black clothes, your, your eyeliner. I, I, I see the, the paintings of skulls on your neck and back, and I hear the screamo music coming from your headphones. I came to give Jesus those who are ready to receive and listen, not your time. This woman is a Gentile, Syrian, Phoenician, and Jesus, it looks like, says, you know what? I came for my people, the Jews. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? And yet, it seems at least when we read this passage in Mark, reading from our gut, reading from our, our emotions, 
It seems that that's what Jesus is doing. And if that's the case, if Jesus is being judgmental based on appearance, based on social status, based on wealth, based on geographical location, then what do we do with our other texts for the week? What do we do with that text in James chapter 2 that I, that I mentioned earlier? Flip over there now. James chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 9. The author writes, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And he says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Verse 5, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, James says. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. And I would say, Brother James, Brother James, why didn't you teach that to Jesus before he went to Syria? Before he went to Tyre, Before he said what he did to that woman? Because maybe then he wouldn't have been so mean. He called her a dog. That's an insult, even today, yes? I realized that back then, the Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't really get along very well. And the Jews often called the Gentiles names. And yet, in return, the Gentiles would call the names... The names back. Now, the way it could be explained, if Jesus was speaking Aramaic to her, then what he called her was not a nice, nice name. It was not nice if he was speaking Aramaic to her. Was he seriously judging her based on her appearance? You know, I read and I reread our texts for this week, and, and the rest of our passages it occurred to me maybe James was simply talking about showing favoritism to rich people, those with monetary goodness. James did say if you give someone special attention and a good seat to the rich person. Our passage in Proverbs also mentions money. Chapter 22, verse 1, you can just listen. It says, choose a good reputation over riches. Better to be held in high esteem than to have silver and gold. Verse 9 says, Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. There's that distinction, rich and poor. In verse 22, Don't rob the poor just because you can. Or exploit the needy in court. Maybe. Because the woman we're looking at in our gospel text is from the wealthy town of Tyre. Maybe she had lots of money. 
And if that's the case, maybe Jesus isn't treating her poorly. He's simply making sure the poor get what they need. In this case, the poor being the Jews, hearing his story. And after all, we know God has a special place in his heart for the poor. Verse 23 in Proverbs 22 says, The Lord is their defender. He will ruin anyone who ruins them. If the passage in James and these other passages are simply about money, then maybe we can let Jesus off the hook for treating the woman the way he did, for calling her a dog, for judging a book by its cover. But I really don't believe that those passages are simply about money. Because can't somebody be poor emotionally? Can't somebody be poor spiritually? Wouldn't God be their defender also? Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. Maybe it's not about money. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a person by their appearance, by their social standing, by their wealth, by their neighborhood. Would you join me on a little rabbit trail for a second? A little question and answer, okay? What do you call a dog that has like five or six different breeds mixed in? A mutt, a mongol. Mongrel, excuse me. Yeah, mongol wouldn't, oh, my bad. Mongrel. Thank you. Whew. A mutt, a mongrel. What do you call a group of mutts and mongrels roaming around out in the wild? A bag. Would you have warm, fuzzy feelings towards this group of mutts, mongrels? No? No. They're ravenish. They're... Nasty, they're scavengers. That's the type of dog, that's the word that when the Jews spoke Aramaic and called a Gentile a Jew, that's the, called a Gentile a dog, that's the type of dog they were calling him. What do you call a dog like Bill and Terry have? Just that cute little one that's probably only got one breed in it. I'm sorry, Bill and Terry. What do you call a dog that is very small that only has one breed in it? A purebred. What do you call them when, you know, you pick them up, you put them, you know, here, they're a lap dog, right? They're a house pet. These dogs are part of the family, albeit maybe slightly less, just as equal, a part of the family. This is a completely different type of dog than the mongrel, than the that is roaming the streets wild. Now, I said Jesus was in the city of Tyre, right? And this is a Gentile city, a city whose inhabitants most likely did not speak Aramaic. Most scholars believe that the woman that came to talk to Jesus was not speaking Aramaic. She was speaking Greek, and Jesus would have responded in Greek to her. In the original texts that we have, the ancient texts, the Greek texts, the word for dog that Jesus used is kunarian, and it's the word for lap dog. It's the word for house pet. Now think about this. Knowing this changes the entire tone of the conversation Jesus had with the Syrian Phoenician woman. What Jesus says, how he says it, it's not judgmental. All of a sudden, if we were to read the text again, we'd catch a twinkle in Jesus' eye. 
We hear the humor in his voice. Jesus wasn't judging her for who she was on the outside. He was having a little playful banter with her. And the woman caught on. You notice that she didn't verbally attack him back. Normally, someone calls you a name, you call him a name back. She did not. She took Jesus' story, his parable, and she took it to the next level. It's as if she said, yes, master, but don't the kids who love their dogs, their house pets so much, don't they often... Can you, can you hear the sparkle? Can you hear the humor? She says, these dogs, they, the, the ones on the lap, they don't have to wait till, to get the bread thrown to them after dinner. It's neat. Back in their culture, they didn't use uh, silverware, so they'd eat with their hands. Their hands would get sloppy. They'd take a little bit of bread, and they'd use it as a napkin, and they'd throw it to the dogs after. But this woman was saying, don't the, the house pets, the lap dogs, don't they get snuck some food? Isn't there something different? Don't those children give a piece to the dogs, the scraps? The text says, from the children's plates. You hear the humor? You see the twinkle in her eye? Jesus loved her response. Verse 28, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Oh, and I could imagine a huge smile crossing his face, and he says, good answer. Good answer. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. When she arrived home, she found her little daughter lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. In Jesus' playful comments about feeding the children first, I don't believe he was slamming the door shut on the kingdom for her. I don't believe he was being judgmental of her. I believe he was leaving the door open. She saw the crack, and she stepped right in. She stepped right in. Now, prior, we started in verse 27 in Mark chapter 7. The beginning of Mark chapter 7, we won't read it, but it talks about Jesus having a discussion with the Pharisees about clean and unclean. He had blown their traditional hand-washing rituals out of the water, and he had told them, don't you realize that it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean? It's the thing that comes from your heart. And this wasn't easy for those who were listening that day. Just as it would not have been easy for any good tradition and law-fearing Jew to walk to Tyre, to a city of Gentiles, it would not have been easy for them to have a conversation with any of the Gentiles, let alone a Gentile woman, let alone be touched by a Gentile woman. And Yet, as Jesus walked those 30 miles from Galilee to Tyre, and the disciples thought to themselves, what, what does it mean, clean and unclean? I, I don't get it. As they watched this exchange, this playful banter, they would have thought, this is what Jesus meant. This woman gets to experience the gospel truly lived out. The gospel that Jesus playfully said he needed to give to the Jews first. She got to experience the Great Commission even before Jesus gave the Great Commission. She was a go-into-all-the-world woman. Jesus wasn't judging her. Jesus was living out the royal law that his brother James wrote about. Love your neighbor as yourself. James chapter 2, verse 8. And of course we know this was one of the two laws that Jesus would later say summed up the entire Old Testament law. Love God, love your neighbor 
Jesus' response to this woman in healing this woman was actually living out what his brother James wrote about. James 2, verse 14, he writes, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Maybe we could say, suppose you see somebody who has a need, that your faith is strong enough to, to say, be gone, demon, and you don't do anything. What good is that faith? Jesus was living out his faith. His response to the Syrophoenician woman healing her daughter. It was part of why the people in that region of Tyre and Sidon would say when he went back to Galilee, Mark 7, verse 37, they were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. Everything he does is wonderful. Everything he does is wonderful. Jesus lived what his brother James was writing about. His response was wonderful. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for First Church, who has traditionally been very good at welcoming those outside, those who look different? I started off asking, would you have had second thoughts seven years ago if you saw me like this? I think we've come a long way. I don't think the second thoughts would be near as many today. We've got a lot of people who go outside our doors and we reach directly out to the poor, the needy, the impoverished. For a lot of people today, this message is simply a reminder to keep living the non-judgmental lives that you already live. Maybe today is simply a reminder for us. So what's this message mean for us? I think two things. Perhaps our eyes have been opened to a different doing this gospel passage differently. We no longer see Jesus as being judgmental. We no longer see that comment as being mean. We see him now playfully welcoming an outsider, someone who maybe should have been judged, but he's playfully welcoming this outsider into her kingdom. I think that's one thing we take from the day, and I think the second thing we take is we need to ask ourselves, who is our Syrian Phoenician woman? Maybe it's somebody who was covered in tattoos. Maybe it's somebody in the cubicle next to you or in the classroom next to you. Maybe it's somebody in your family who's always giving you a hard time about your faith. Who is your Syrian Phoenician woman? And are you taking that step outside of Galilee to go to that person? To have a playful exchange that welcomes them into the kingdom. As a church, who's our Syrian Phoenician people group? Jesus said, I want to feed my children before throwing food to the dogs. And, and perhaps he was talking about his mission. You can remember all those other sermons you, you heard now. Because there's validity in that. Perhaps he was saying, you know, my, my time frame is, is for the Jews right now. This has been argued for centuries upon centuries. And if you see that passage from that angle, let me tell you, Jesus' mission to the Jews was completed on the cross. 
He fed the children and he's no longer on that cross. His mission of welcoming the Syrian Phoenician woman is exactly the mission he is sending us on. And I want to live in such a way that people ask me about Jesus, that people ask me for Jesus. I want to live in a way that opens doors for people into the kingdom, not judgmentally closing kingdom gates. I want to take the joy that that Syrian Phoenician woman must have had when she walked in and saw her daughter healed, and I want to take that joy to the masses. We've been doing that as a church, and I want to ask you, will you continue doing that with me? Even if I came back with real ink, would you join me? Let's pray. God, what a story. And I tell you what, I get excited seeing this. Father, thank you for allowing me to take this, this group of people through some ups and downs of emotion. Thank you for showing us, Lord, the, the truth behind this story, that you are a God, that Jesus came not just to stay in Galilee, not just to stay in the temple, but to go to the cities of Tyre and Sidon and to, to reach those who didn't look the same, who didn't talk the same, who didn't live in the same neighborhood. God, I thank you that we can find hope in that passage. And God, I pray that you would burn within us the desire to do the same thing. God, whatever that looks like for us, whether it is just turning to our neighbor and saying something to them, or whether that is literally going across the street or across town or across the world, I pray that you would give us the passion to do what you did and welcome people into the kingdom. We want to do that for your glory, Lord, not for ours, because someday, Jesus, it would be good to sit next to you and say, so that's who she was? Remember this one? We went and got her for you too. And that one, Lord, he's yours because you told us to go. Lord, that one was my Syrian Phoenician woman. God, I look forward to that day, and I pray you would keep the passion, the desire, and the drive in me and in those sitting here today with me. We pray this only in the name of Jesus, who made it possible to come before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand as we worship in one final song?